welcome back to World Changers. I'm Stephen. I'm Brett. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most famous religious thinkers of all time. That's right. Siddhartha Gautama, otherwise known as Buddha. Nice. That's the first fun fact of the day. His real name is Siddhartha Gautama. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So let's jump into his uh, life summary, yeah? Yeah, so uh, Siddhartha um, was actually born as somewhat of a prince, right? Some, at least pretty high in the, the social status, right? Yeah, his dad, his father was the king of a, like a, a clan or a tribe. Not a very big yeah. nation, but just like kind of a small group. He had it easy. Yeah, but like, and you know, he was the in the richest house in that clan, so they yeah. were they were pretty well off. And he was born in 624 BC. So, if I'm not mistaken, Buddha will be the uh, the oldest, the farthest back uh, character we've done so far in this podcast. That's right. Yep. So, all you listeners out there, just you know, take everything we're saying with a grain of salt. All the a lot of research that I've done, uh, historians would dispute about different stories and different facts, even his birth. Oh, I just said it was 624 BC, but most yeah. people say it's a very wide range. Right? I had like sixth century. Yeah, so. <laughs> hundred years. Yeah, so it's, it's there's some varying accounts of of his life. So yeah, his uh, so he was born, and then his mother actually died seven days after he was born, which is kind of eerie that all these people were doing they keep having a parent die. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's almost crazy. Everyone. Yeah. Uh, so he was born in a place called Lumbini, uh, which is in Nepal. Yeah. So that kind of area of the world, which makes sense because that's where most Buddhists are today. His father didn't want him to see any misery or suffering for his whole life, basically. So he kind of kept him secluded in in a, a palace that was built especially for him. Yeah. So he was he led a pretty sheltered childhood, young adulthood. Um, he was just secluded in, in his palace, but he was given everything that he would ever need, basically. Well, I mean, that's argu- arguable, but to survive. So he, he's given every, every luxury, food, drink, entertainment, clothes, comfortable furniture, women, whatever he wanted, really. It's a really interesting circumstance. I feel like it's unlike any of the great men and women that we've done so far, where his world was kind of uh, limited. Yeah. Literally, like, you know, he had walls around him and he couldn't go out of those walls. It's just so such an interesting... I don't know who I could ever compare this to. It's like house arrest. Yeah. It's like Disturbia. Shia and, LaBeouf. It's like... And you just didn't know any different. And he was given all this good stuff, so it was... Yeah. It's like he probably didn't care too much to, to find out what was up there. Do we know how his mother died? Was it from childbirth? It was a week later, but... Yeah, I'm not sure. I just wonder how that affected his dad and if maybe his mother died from something from the outside, you know, like some type of disease or... It actually reminds me of Finding Nemo. Totally. Because his mom dies and then his dad's like all worried about him. (laughs) That was a great right on the head. Anyways, um, so he was actually married around the age of 16 Mm -hmm. and that's another weird funny thing is just across uh, the centuries how... age of marriage uh it just changes so much and now it's like becoming like high 20s yeah 
It's so weird. And that, back then, it was, I mean, I guess it was a life expectancy thing, but. Yeah, I think this it was kind of a custom in those days for them to get married around that age. That makes sense. Anyway, so he's married around 16, and he stays in seclusion with a wife for another 13 years, almost till he's 30. Yeah. He's in this place. Yep. He's Hard finally, to imagine. Uh, yeah. And he had a son, too. No. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, weird life. Weird yeah. life. But he finally ventured outside of the palace, and this is sort of where his transformation starts. So he finally ventures out of the palace, and he sees a very old man. And that was the first time he had ever seen somebody old and frail and realized that life is sort of short in that way. And you get old and you die. Um, he saw an old man. He went out and wanted to see more. He uh, encountered a diseased man, learned that people get sick. He saw a decaying corpse, so he learned about death. Which is crazy to think there's just decaying corpses on the road. Yeah. Like, did the purge just happen? You know what I mean? Like, someone's got to clean that up. People must have just died a lot. So yeah. And they just didn't, I don't know, it's weird. Um, and then finally he saw an ascetic. And an ascetic is somebody who had renounced the world to seek enlightenment and to overcome the fear of suffering. So they basically would not eat very much. They would put their bodies through sort of pain that basically get rid of any luxury any sort of comfort in their life interesting so he was pretty naive for him not even to understand what old age is it kind of gives you a glimpse into his protected life yeah did he not have any servants was his father not aging for the fact that i mean for that to make that big of an impression on him is kind of crazy yeah his life he had no idea no idea and i think this is cool because i think now, this might be uh, partly due to the fact that he's so old, um, his story is so old, and you know it might have uh, kind of changed as time went on and became more, uh, I guess, mainstream. But I think it's interesting that out of all the people so far, he has, I think, the most distinct defining moment where he became, where he had this uh, enlightenment. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Abraham Lincoln, Leonardo da Vinci, Alexander the Great also had a couple moments, you know, where it was like his greatness kind of, sh- sh- like, it was evident for all to see. Emerged. Emerged, great word. Yeah, his greatness emerged. And he was also a pretty old story. So I wonder if those two things are correlated. Yeah, it could be that over time, a person's life story kind of just gets simplified and yeah. cut into more... And, and made into a story. And yeah. a story needs a climax. It needs, you know, these different dramatic effects. And I wonder sure. if that's it. But but Siddhartha's is amazing. So he goes out and he sees these four people. Uh-huh. And wh- how does he feel about it? Well, he... Really, he basically discovers suffering. That's the, the main idea. And so he kind of sets out to find a way to understand suffering, appease it, figure out how to overcome it for his own life. And so he goes on and becomes an ascetic himself. Mm -hmm. He leaves his wife and son and goes out to live that sort of lifestyle with no comforts, nothing. And he, he was pretty extreme. Yeah. 
even uh, even the aesthetics that he started uh, making acquaintances with, they started to follow him because he was so extreme uh, in things such as the duration of his fasts mm-hmm. and the, the amount of suffering that he was able to endure. He became almost like a leader with these aesthetics. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. They, they, they mentioned about at least like a group of five other ascetics who, who ended up following him. They, they just admired, like you say, his devotion to, to the lifestyle and kind of he, he took it one step further. Almost. And so it seems like he's searching for some sort of satisfaction, some sort of purpose or understanding. And he does this for how many? Like five, six years? Six years. Six years. Yeah. And nothing's happened. No. He was, yeah, he was looking for some sort of enlightenment. He, like, studied and meditated a lot, but he just didn't find the answers that he was looking for. And, yeah, he, he even, you know, a- after doing that for a while and not, not still not finding answers, he took it even a step further to go as extreme as he could in his lifestyle to see if he needed to do that in order to find the answers, but he still didn't get them. Um, and then one day, a young girl offered him a bowl of rice. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yeah, and he accepted it. And this was sort of going contrary to his lifestyle because, uh, you know, this wouldn't be something that he would normally do. He wouldn't normally eat a full meal yeah. in one sitting. They were, like, always starving. Yeah, basically. He accepted the bowl of rice. He drank some water and bathed in a river. And, and everyone, everyone thought he kind of gave up. Yeah. Like his followers were like, oh, he hit a limit. He's done. Yeah. And I guess in a way he kind of did. He he went down the path of this extreme and so far he realized it's not going anywhere. Yeah. So he started coming back. Yeah. So he basically came to the conclusion that enlightenment doesn't require this sort of extreme self-deprivation, but it's found in balance um, or as he called it, the middle way. The middle way. Yeah. Which is, that's the whole focal point of Buddhism. Yeah, finding that middle ground. And so he he's pondering about this, and he goes and sits under a tree, as the story goes. Mm-hmm. And he decides he's going to sit there until he receives an answer almost. Yeah. And uh, so he's there for who knows how long, and... Uh, Fun side fact, there's an evil demon named Mara, according to the legend, who tried to claim his enlightened state for his own. And Siddhartha touched his hand to the ground and asked the earth to bear witness to his enlightenment, which he did, and Mara was kind of banished. Which shows a lot of uh, similarities to um, the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith. And uh, he went into a grove of trees to find enlightenment and... uh, Satan, as Christendom calls him, tried to overcome him as well. Mm-hmm. So pretty interesting how similar the, at least the enlightened part of their stories are. And under this tree, he achieves this enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah, so I read that he stayed there and meditated for several days even. That's so crazy. Yeah, and he was just, he was basically just sat there and said, I'm going to sit here until I get the answers that I'm looking for. It's kind of cool. I feel like... Uh, I don't know, like God kind of awards you sometimes for, it sounds like pouting a little bit, (laughs) but it also, I think it's uh, admirable, you know? Yeah. Sticking with it, like the, um, who's the hunter in the Book of Mormon? 
Enos. Enos. Yeah. Right. How he just like I'm gonna keep praying. Yeah. And then God finally is like, okay, fine. He prayed for like a whole day. A whole, I mean, a whole, one day. Yeah. And, and and here's Siddhartha. He's going for you said a week. As the legend. Several days. Several days. Read, yeah. Man, that's nuts. And at this point, he becomes enlightened or awake. Yeah. Which is the literal term for Buddha. He who yeah. is awake. He who is awake. Um, kind of similar to today and people being woke. I think th- this is a similar meaning. Stay though. woke. Yeah. Stay woke, everybody. That's the that's the tagline for Buddhism. Stay woke. And so what? It, what now let's go into a little bit about, so he's enlightened, what happens after. So he was first sort of hesitant to teach what he had learned because he didn't really know how to put it into words. And he probably just thought people would reject him. And, but he ended up going for it anyway. He tried it out, tried teaching what he had learned this middle way. And the first group he taught included those five ascetics who had followed him before and had left him after he had renounced the ascetic lifestyle. Um, and that first sermon actually came to be known as setting in motion the wheel of Dharma. And Dharma is, is basically the, the, teachings of buddhism or the middle way have you heard that's of kind of what they called it the dharma initiative i remember that from lost <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, i don't really know what it is though. no that's what i was referring to okay, lost. <laughs> uh yeah so he he ended up going out and preaching and these uh those five ascetics ended up um accepting his his teachings and, and following him and becoming sort of some of his uh most devoted disciples in the middle way. And do we want to talk a little bit about uh, the Four Noble Truths? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the religion. So obviously this had a huge impact. Uh, Today there's almost 500 million Buddhists in the world. Yeah, A lot of people don't classify Buddhism as a religion um, because of some of the things we're about to talk about. Their, you know, beliefs and and uh, they don't have like a really a leadership structure. Either, leadership right? structure, core doctrine, even uh, sacred texts. They have some. Obviously, there's different sects who have like brought in different texts that rhymed. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of people. It's, it's similar to meditation. I don't want to simplify it and, and disrespect it in any form um, by by just calling it meditation. But it's definitely a lot to do with yourself and what's inside of you and thinking about it. So yeah. Let's just briefly go over a couple of the core beliefs. Okay. So the four noble truths are sort of where it begins. And the first noble truth is that um, there's suffering. Life always includes suffering. It's always present. The second is that the cause of suffering is craving or desire um, and ignorance. The third truth is that the end of suffering is possible when we become awakened to the fact that suffering is like passing clouds, but the sun is always there. That suffering isn't permanent, um, but the goodness in the universe is always there, represented by the sun. And the fourth is that Eightfold Path is the way to becoming awakened. So there's suffering, Mm-hmm. And the the reason we have suffering is because we crave for things. Yeah. And the third one was that suffering is... It, it's possible to end suffering. So you, then it's also possible to end suffering, 
and you do that, the fourth one. Do the April path. path. Okay, yeah. now we got it. We got to do the April path now. Yeah, do you have that, or you want me to go over why it? Why don't you do the April I'll go path? Ahead. Yeah. So, number one is right view, or seeing the world as it is. Number two is right intention, paying attention to our underlying intentions, basically. Number three is right action, or acting according to our right intentions. Number four is right speech, um, which is to don't to, to not speak in any way to cause suffering. Five is right livelihood, which I read as being, um, you know, earning a living in an honest or good way. Six is right effort, working hard to ease and lessen suffering for ourselves and others, I suppose. Number seven is right mindfulness. And mindfulness is, is an interesting idea, basically really paying attention to what's going on around you and within your own mind and, and within your own self. And number eight is right concentration, um, focusing solely on one object. Interesting. All right, well, that's the summary of his life. Yeah, basically uh, he spent the rest of his life traveling around and preaching the Dharma. Preaching. He died when he was 80. Oh, and in the cool stories, you got to talk about how he died. How he died. Okay, we'll talk okay. about that later. Um, let's go on to some fun quotes. There is an endless amount of quotes from Siddhartha yeah. Gautama. And again, we don't know yeah. how many of these were really said by him, but it's. I think a lot of it is mainly sort of ideas that are prevalent in Buddhism. Yeah. Have you heard that thing, like, you can pretty much say any quote and say Abraham Lincoln said it, like yeah. that joke as a yeah. kid? Yeah, I feel like uh, Buddha is honestly above. He's one up to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> or Confucius or some of, You might have read some of these in your fortune cookie, like, yesterday. <laughs> Doesn't mean they're not awesome. Um, meditation brings wisdom. Lack of meditation leaves ignorance. Hmm. So, yeah, really important. He felt like uh, really thinking about yourself. Yeah. Taking the time to kind of sit there and be quiet and just observe yourself and your thoughts and the sounds that are going on around you. Uh, I've got one that says, There are only two mistakes one can make along the road to truth. Not going all the way and not starting. That's a cool one. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Better than a thousand hollow words is one word that brings peace. I like that. I think it's kind of... Um, just about being genuine. Yeah. You know? And I think especially in today's world with all these uh, internet comments and everything we're saying, but if you really just be genuine with people, I think it really can go a long ways. Yeah, I like that. Here's one. Thousands of candles can be lighted from a single candle, and the life of the candle will not be shortened. Happiness never decreases by being shared. That is, like, honestly going to be one of my favorite quotes. That's pretty cool. I love that one. Yeah. Hatred does not cease through hatred at any time. Hatred ceases through love. This is an unalterable law. Uh, it reminds me of Martin Luther King's. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, you can't chase out darkness with darkness. Well, you can chase it out with light. You think he got that from Buddha? He totally did. <laughs> uh, we are shaped by our thoughts. We become what we think. When the mind is pure, joy follows like a shadow that never leaves. So again, sort of paying attention to our thoughts even, and not just our actions, but because our actions lead to our thoughts, if we pay attention to our thoughts first, then that will 
lead to pure actions, right? Yeah. If you propose to speak, always ask yourself, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? That's good advice. That's not bad. Uh, is my one more? Do one more. One more. Do not dwell in the past. Do not dream of the future. Concentrate the mind on the present moment. I think that goes a lot along with uh, the idea of mindfulness. Yeah. Being focused on the present and what's going on right now. I like it. Should we start with the story of how he died? Oh, we gotta start there. I start, mean, start at the first end. First shall be last and last shall be first, Brad. <laughs> That's right. Um, so he died when he was 80, like I said, and he died from some spoiled food that was given to him by, I think, basically kind of a random person he met who, yeah, obviously, like, this whole middle way started with him accepting food from some random young girl who offered him food. Anyway, so he, he knew the spoiled, the food was spoiled before he took it, though, um, but he basically had felt for a time before this that his death was coming, that it was, it was soon going to be time for him to, to move on to the next life. And so he accepted the spoiled food anyway, and he died from it. And they say that, that was, this was then the end of his cycle of death and rebirth. So that is a, a prevalent belief in that part of the world is the idea of reincarnation and that the Buddha especially had lived previous lives as different men, different women, different animals, um, different living things, and, but now that he had become awakened. Reached nirvana. Yeah. Now that, that cycle was going to end. Makes sense. It really does, yeah. Yeah. You just keep getting better. Yeah, it's kind of a eternal progression kind of idea, right? Yeah. Man, I wonder what that meal was. Like, how did he know it was spoiled? You know? <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Um, a few days after his birth, it was predicted by a wise old man that he would later become a great king or a saint that would change the world. Just... Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's how the legend goes. <laughs> that's, Alexander the Great had a similar prediction, you know. Yeah, it's really easy to make those make up those stories in retrospect. Well, or you just always say them, and no one's ever going to care about the ones you got wrong. Especially if you're predicting it about somebody who's being born into a royal family. Yeah, so a great like, king. He's probably going to be a king. He's going to be a king. Uh, also related to the beginning of his life, his mother actually had a dream when he was conceived that a white elephant with six tusks entered her side. So, I don't know if that was like, if that white elephant would represent some god figure or something. Yeah. But oh, it's like a Mary in Christendom, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. It's really similar. Yeah. Wow, very similar. Maybe reincarnation is real, and Christ was a reincarnation of Buddha. Hey, man. Who knows? Who knows? Um, according to the legend, after Buddha was cremated, a single tooth remained. Additionally, whoever is in the possession of the tooth is the rightful leader of Buddhism. The tooth is currently housed in a $62 million temple in Sri Lanka. Wow. 
I don't know how accurate that is. <laughs> you can make a movie about that. I mean, hey, don't knock it. It could be true. One tooth. How much do you think that tooth is worth if the if the palace around it is $62 million? I mean, you control the whole religion. That's true. But, uh, yeah. Can't argue with that. The, uh, so, we talked about that run-in he had with the demon Mara when he was becoming enlightened. And I also read that he, uh, shortly after Mara was banished, that the Buddha received a vision in his mind of the universe and all that had occurred in it. So he had sort of this grand vision. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that's Moses had that. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna talk about Moses as well. There's there's a story about Moses in a book called The Pearl of Great Price, right? Where he has this where he res- he speaks face to face with God, and then Satan comes and tempts him, but he and, and so this darkness comes and tempts him, and he's able to banish the darkness, and then he has a great vision of the universe. It's so crazy. Yeah, similar. There's stories. definitely some truth here somewhere. Yeah. Um, okay, my last one is the Buddha is a canonized saint of the Catholic and Orthodox churches. That's cool. Yeah, they're like, uh, we, we choose you. <laughs> Claim you. You're with us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just have one more, I think. And it's, it has to do also with uh, the period of time around when he became awakened. So I, I mentioned that he was hesitant to teach what he had found out, but the the legend is that the king of the gods um, named Brahma came to him and convinced him to try to teach anyway, even though he, he didn't know how to put it into words. So. Brett, why don't you take a, a minute or two and just talk about why you think Siddhartha is on this list? Why was he so great? Well, one obvious thing is that is if you look at the influence that he's had since his life. So you, you talked about, what was it, like almost 500 billion? Yeah, uh, 500, sorry. <laughs> 500 million? <laughs> 500 million, yeah. 500 million <laughs> Buddhists in the world right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe 500 billion since his so, life. Who knows? To- yeah, totally. Could yeah. be. But You so, can't ignore it. You can't ignore Yeah, so that influence, um, you know, that, that many lives just that are alive today have been influenced by by his teachings. And it's admirable to think about the way he was able to well basically his his thirst for for knowledge and finding the truth. And I think that's another common thing we find a lot of uh, of sorry and, and a lot of the people that we've talked about where they just have this overwhelming desire to find truth to to find knowledge. And so he went to huge extremes in order to find that, you know, depriving himself of basically almost everything, almost to the point of death, to to find truth. And then when he realized that didn't work, he decided to sit under a tree for just a week, you yeah, know, yeah. until he got it. And he was just, had that crazy desire. And I think that's definitely something that we found is common among these people and that leads to greatness if, if you're able to just continue in that and, and go until you find what you're looking for. Yeah, you know, I think uh, he obviously was wise. It's hard. We kind of discount some of his wisdom when we said even earlier, oh, this could have been on a fortune cookie. 
but it's hard for us to imagine, you know, 2,500, 600 years ago what society was like and what people understood. And I think we understand so much more than those people did. And so sometimes we hear basic truths and we take them as, uh, we take them for granted that everyone knows these. It seems to me that he made a huge jump in, in moral wisdom. Um, I think what you said about his tenacity or discipline or overcoming his physical body I, I don't know how to describe it but his ability to to suffer to push through things that were hard mm-hmm. I think would have made him successful in anything honestly in sports yeah. in academics in anything you do in, in love or as king as a general I also think it's amazing that he's he have he was born so long ago I mean how many people do we know from 600 feet 500 600 BC yeah. I can't name a single one you know and as the farther you go back, the fewer and fewer people we can remember. And the fact that his name has permeated throughout time till today is something really special. He wasn't just a wise man of a tribe, you know? He mm-hmm. was a once in maybe a thousand years kind of guy. Yeah. You know, once in a hundred years kind of guy for sure. And so I think, yeah, I think um, those things alone is one of the reasons why he's on the list. You know, anyone who's been remembered for over 2,500 years will be on the list. But I also think uh, his willingness to to do whatever it takes to achieve a goal. Yeah. That What you talked about, maybe passion. I don't know. Leonardo had that passion, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like Alexander the Great had this unquenchable thirst as well. It seems like he had this. It seems like I guess he got it quenched, though. Right? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. His that, army didn't want to follow him to the end of the world. Well, I mean, yes, Siddhartha got it quenched. That's like his whole thing. Yeah. You know? It's true. He uh, got satisfied, hit Nirvana. But, yeah, it's just, it's a shame. I wish, I think it's so cool how we document things today, and I wish we could know more about him and about what he really taught, and uh, it'd be so cool. But uh, All right, that's all we got for today. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Julius Caesar. <laughs> Julius Caesar, <laughs> one of the greatest generals of all time. Yeah, someone we mentioned in our Alexander podcast the Great. about Cleopatra. Cleopatra and Alexander, and Alexander the, Great. the Great. Yeah, interesting. Wow. All right, guys. Well, please uh, comment below, uh, like, share. Send questions. Yeah, send us some questions. Send us some people you want us to do. And uh, that's all. Yeah. See you guys later.